Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Innovating Church podcast, the, tr the uh, podcast of church innovations. Today with us, we have Nigel Rooms, who, with Pat Kiefert, wrote Spiritual Leadership in the Missional Church. And this book is available um, through uh, Grove Books, and you can go online and purchase. There's uh, a digital copy um, through them. Uh, welcome, Nigel, and welcome, Patrick. And as with always, as with me or with with, with us, sorry, is our is my co-host Casey, who will uh, pray us in. Thank you, Rachel. Gracious God, thank you so much for gathering us together. Be with Patrick, Nigel, Rachel, and I, as we discuss leadership in service to you. Be with our listeners and with those who serve your church around the world. Give us ears to hear where your spirit is calling us and hearts to follow that calling. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. Amen. So, Nigel and Patrick, you begin the book uh, by talking about leadership as cultivation, and you use the metaphor of gardening, the leader as cultivator, uh, creating the right emotional and spiritual field for congregations to flourish. Now, before we talk about uh, what this metaphor is, Nigel, I hear you're quite a gardener. Is that uh, the case? That's absolutely true, yes. I am. Um, I, uh... I grow all vegetables as much as I can anyway on a, what's called an allotment in the UK. The, 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 um, the government sets aside certain land for people to, to have uh, gardens on outside of their homes. All right. So um, besides ministry, uh, with your uh, hobby of, of gardening, uh, you kind of use the gardening to talk about a systems approach and an understanding uh, the ecology of a congregation. Would you give all of us a brief description of the two systems uh, that you talk about, family system and open system? Yeah, well, let's start with uh, the idea that this is an organic or ecological uh, whole metaphor world we're entering here. Um, I, was, um, I was reminded yesterday, actually, um, on something else, of um, the idea of wilding or rewilding, um, which is becoming popular now in, uh, in certain circles. So there's a famous book in the UK called Wilding itself, um, where a very large farm is, is given over essentially to nature again. Um, uh, it is, there is intervention, but the, the whole ecological system then bursts into life in a different way because it's not controlled by chemicals or by over intervening as as farmers and all sorts of unintended consequences arise so the first nightingales are heard in the south of england for decades four types of rare dung beetles emerge um, in in the uh, undergrowth it, it's the most amazing thing and and this this is the idea that we're, we're allowing, if you like, God's world and God's work to flourish and, and, and simply uh, lightly intervening uh, 
holding it, allowing it to be itself. And all sorts of things then emerge that, uh, that we couldn't tell beforehand happen. So that, that, that's the... I think there's... Go ahead, Pat. No, go ahead. Well, I just think that is so, uh, so powerful and a metaphor. And uh, I mean, I've, I've, I've thought about it for a number of years, but it just keeps, uh, pardon the pun, growing on me. Uh, we, we might say we're entering, especially those of us in Western culture, into a very different relationship with the earth. Uh, it's not clear we're going to get there fast enough to uh, uh, prevent our being removed from uh, this uh, garden. But we're being invited everywhere I look to rediscover uh, the deep spiritual values that, that inform uh, this book and what sp spiritual leadership is about. Uh, and I, I want to just talk about just how vast a shift it is from thinking of leadership uh, in, in organizational terms as the organization is a machine. We know what the rules are for how the machine works because we made it. And we are going to control its future by manipulating, you know, certain buttons, certain tools, uh, certain machines within the machine, which let's be honest, is the dominant model of leadership we hear um, all over the place are the metaphors based in uh, technical control of machine. And here Nigel is saying, what if we were to assume that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, uh, which is from the Psalms, of course, and that uh, there is a deep natural power uh, in God's movement in the world that we need to rediscover. It is the, uh, the, 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 the living spirit that we pray to in the ancient hymn, Venite Creator Spiritus, that spiritual leadership really takes very seriously God's promises in the creation and in everyday life. What a massive shift uh, of metaphor. It just, it's, it's stunning to me, uh, and yet very powerful. Yeah, I sometimes say that uh, if, you know, if I had a pound or a dollar for every uh, church leader who'd asked for a toolkit or a toolbox um, of ideas or things to fix their church, I could retire. I wouldn't need to work anymore. Um, and uh, and that's, that's that mechanical metaphor. They just want something to fix things as if, as if the church were a machine. So moving on then to these two ideas of, uh, of systems theory, uh, we talk in the book about family systems theory and open systems theory. And I was thinking that one of the ways of, of looking at these two, I think they're complementary ideas, essentially. So um, I think family systems is really looking at the organization um, 
from the inside. It doesn't really address the outside of the organization, whereas open systems really looks at the system within its surroundings or its context. So let's just have a think about uh, family systems first. This is the, 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 the interpersonal uh, dynamics and psychology of how initially families work, and that's not just nuclear families, but extended families. Um, and, and by extension, how, how small, um, what you might call churches under 50 people who have a kind of family dynamic to their, to, to their group working, um, also operate. And since the vast majority of churches have less than 50 members, um, the, 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 the theories um, apply both to the family and to that uh, small church system. And um, it's interesting, I was, I was looking through, the, uh, through the, the book again, and I realized that most of the things we say about the, and the people say about the, uh, the family system are what you might call their pathology, the what's wrong with the, <laughs> the system. Um, and uh, and that's, that, that's perhaps because um, we, we struggle so, so often in, in our own families with, uh, with what they do to us. But there it is. Um, leadership within a, in a family system is, we, we talk about um, self-differentiation because what's happening in a family system, and actually what's happening in an open system too is, is turbulence, if you like, is if things are going to grow and change and, and develop, um, there's going to be things, rub, people rubbing up against each other, um, and there's going to be difficulty and trouble and conflict. The question that both of these theories raise, I think, is how do we live with that conflict such that it becomes creative as opposed to destructive? And, and there, there is a way of doing that. In my experience, most clergy, most spiritual leaders really believe that the less conflict you have, the better, because it gives them an easy life. Um, and actually, that's not really very helpful um, because it tends to shut the system down. It stops it being alive and creative. Nevertheless, what you don't want is so much conflict that, that it, it becomes uncontained and very destructive. And of course, our, our leaders at the moment, our world leaders, I seem to believe this, that the more you disrupt the system without containment, the better for them. Certainly, it's, that's what they seem to be operating out of. And that's, that, that's deeply, I think, un-Christian un in the sense that it's not held um, within uh, God's love and God's care and God's mercy. So somewhere in between those, shutting it down or kind of bursting it out, it is a place where we're actually making the thing work for us. And, and as the leader, finding what we call our self-differentiation within that, so that we're not always defaulting um, into ways of reacting to conflict. We all have those from our childhood. All our families had ways of dealing with difficulty um, because they have to. And uh, my, my default is to run away. I want to be out of the room as fast as possible when it gets difficult. I'd, I'd rather be anywhere else. 
My wife's entirely the opposite. If you want to uh, offer her some conflict, she'll give you some conflict back very rapidly. So um, that's perhaps why our relationship works. That's, that's, that's very true, having spent no small amount of time with both of them. Quite a contrast. One is a distancer and the other is a fuser. So, so being aware of these things and, and being able to, uh, to recognize them when the feelings arise and say, actually, I'm going to do something different today. I'm going to stay with myself and with what's going on here and not uh, default to those things. Those are the, the behaviors that we're trying to, to draw out when we think, when we talk about family systems. But because family systems only deals with, if you like, the inside of the organization, it's limited because it try, it's, it sense it treats the system as a closed system. So open systems theory uh, broadens this out to think about the organization in relation to its context or its uh, surroundings. And if you think about it, um, all organizations have a, surround, a surrounding. And to go back to the organic metaphor, all living cells uh, are only alive because they're in a symbiotic relationship with their outside. Or think about the human body itself. The, the only reason we're alive is we take in things through our mind, mouths and things, you know, excrete from other orifices. Um, and, and that's what keeps us alive. We have to take in stuff, we transform it inside and it leaves us. That keeps us alive. All cells are like that. We suggest that all churches, organizations are also like that. Unless they have a porous boundary to their outside, they will die. And that's our diagnosis of the church in the West at the moment, that it has turned in upon itself, closed up the boundary to the outside, and is therefore dying until it learns to adapt with the outside, it will continue to die. And, and I think there's good evidence for that. So, so that is, those are the two systems theories that we're working with. There's a, there's a third one, which we don't say so much more about in the book, um, which is more about complexity, but, um, but that's perhaps for another day. Is that, is that a responsive answer? It was quite a long answer to your question, Casey, but I hope uh, people have been able to follow us uh, as we've been talking. No, I thought uh, that was a very good answer and I appreciated the length of it. Um, with it being a very complex, you know, books and books have been written on family systems theory, and you did a very good job of summing that up and uh, the open system as well. Um, could you speak for a moment on uh, the role of leadership in each system? And please feel free to continue the metaphor of bodily secretion. Yes, right. Okay. Um, yeah. So um, I think in looking at family systems, it's more about what you shouldn't be doing than, than maybe what you should be. Although our whole theory of self-definition does come out of that because, because it's about staying um, connected, if you like, both to God and to the other in the midst of the transformations, the, the, the conflict that is going on. 
if you like, what's happening in your stomach, if you want to go back to the, to the input and output in the body, you know, it's what's happening in your stomach and your intestines. All that stuff that's churned around in there is like the transformation that's happening in the system. And it's contained, of course, safely within, within the stomach and the intestines. And that's important because if it bursts out, then you get into all sorts of problems. So, so the ability to stay connected and to contain that uh, material is the task of leadership, I think, to taking um, uh, the family systems approach. There are some other bits and pieces that I think are worth learning, which we talk about around triangulation, and uh, and other pathologies that that come in um, very easily and and I, I do think it's worth mentioning that uh, that because of the the weakness and the decline of the church the the um, the, the theory tells us that uh, a, a, any difficulty pain in the system will be focused somewhere and uh, and that's true of all families there's there's usually um, some person in a family who takes the the rap as it were for the the difficulties the pathologies of the family system and it's usually not the person who's causing it um it's not their problem but they get it applied to them scapegoating is another word for that and um and I think that that's true of the clergy in the church system. They seem to be at the moment uh, given the the pathology. They they are they are dropped on from above by the church body um, because the church body requires them to, to perform, uh, and they are they are pushed from beneath from the congregation um, in all sorts of ways, and it's. Uh, it's not really, you know, of course they're important, but uh, they're not as important as the system thinks they are. Whereas in open systems theory... If I might... Yes. If I might on that point, uh, and I say this to pastors because, uh, of course, they don't need one more excuse to complain against their bishops, but um, let's be realistic here. For the majority of my adult life in leadership in the church, uh, the clergy have been made the designated patient. And under the false notion that, uh, first of all, personality and person is the most important thing in a system for which there's almost no evidence. And that if we can control the clergy we can control the system. These are false assumptions for which there is not scientific support. And worse than that, they have at the root uh, all the sickness of clericalism and anti-clericalism. And so much harm has been done to local congregations uh, and to the clergy. Uh, you know, for over 30 years, I've asked bishops, so how many pastors, how many vicars have you disciplined or removed in your, you know, uh, adjudicatory? Well, they always have a long list. And then I say, how many church councils, parish uh, councils have you removed? And of course, they've not removed any. 
And I said, what a relief. The only problems you have are in your clergy. And they, of course, know that's wrong, but they don't see the system issue. If you want to get down to the, uh, to the brass tacks of what this book is about, it is blowing the whistle on that false notion of systems and the false theology underneath it, which has everything to do with misunderstanding how God works and how the church is the body of Christ. I really love Nigel's play on what the body does and offers a very concrete, real, positive alternative. This is my blunt political speech. Yeah, so thank you, that, Pat, that's really helpful and uh, takes it further and, uh, and puts it much more sharply than I did. Um, so in, in open systems, the, the key, and this is, I think is a really interesting move for me. When I first came across this idea, I thought that this is right, but it's, it's so counterintuitive again to, to how we understand leadership in the church and what Pat's just been talking about, which is that in open systems, leadership is at the boundary at the edge and and we're so stuck with hierarchical models of leadership of of being above or in front of um ahead of the people that we have leaders and followers um whereas leadership in open systems theory is at the boundary at, at the edge and and that in the book we, we talk about three ways that 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 works out um but but um more importantly, I think, uh, if you look at the history of, of the church throughout the ages, um, it's, it's most often renewed from the edge and not the center. So, so why wouldn't leadership be at the boundary if that's the case? It, it seems to make sense um, be, because that's the place at which we... Um, we discover new things and and are open to what God is doing in the world, as opposed to our myopia, uh, our inability to see at the centre because we're so tied up with the stuff of the church. So, um, leading at the boundary, that 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 liminal space, um, is really key. I. I have a colleague in the UK who talks about the ecotone to go back to the organic metaphor. I might just, we didn't say this in the book, but uh, I could just throw that in. It, there's a, there's a space between a forest and a field um, at the edge of the forest and the field, which the biologists call an ecotone. Um, and you get all sorts of interesting uh, flora and fauna in that small space between the two and it's a highly creative um piece between the 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 two more fixed um uh places and uh i really like that idea um and that's the place where the leaders need to be because it's the it's the place where you can really notice uh, what's happening on on both sides, on the outside and the inside. So we talk about uh, this is where the missional. Uh, this is where the missional comes into play, uh, when you 
understand this critical uh, liminal space, and it's very real. I mean, this is often when we use the language liminal, people think we've gone into the twilight zone. No, no, this is everyday stuff where we encounter the liminal. But when we help ordinary folk uh, gain this capacity to dwell in this liminal space, they literally gather the intelligence that makes possible the formation of Christian community around God's mission in, in their everyday lives. Uh, this is deeply spiritual. This is not a, a purely psychological or sociological observation, though both are clearly the case. But we're talking about what God is up to every day in people's everyday lives. And there are these liminal spaces and times. And, and when you help ordinary folk discover those, it transforms a congregation. And they become leaders, do you understand? That's the point. So I came across a really great example of this, a, a COVID example of this uh, recently. I was, I've been wondering about how you receive hospitality online um, because it's normally based around food and uh, sharing um, uh, physical things. And then I, I came across a, a church in uh, the south of our country in the UK that um, had created a, what you might call a bridge community in a, in a Facebook group and a community Facebook group. And they were, they were dealing with issues in their community through this community Facebook group. And um, of course, one of, the, one of the issues in these groups is that you, you get um, what you might call outlier people uh, joining them um, <laughs> who want to disrupt them. And, uh, and it gets very awkward very quickly because people fall out um, in public um, and, and get nasty. And so I asked, well, how was it then that this was working, that it didn't fall into you know, the kind of classic traps of, of these groups? And it was because uh, the, the spiritual leader and uh, one other person essentially took on the moderating task for the group and gently um, said, these are the things that we're going to allow and these are the things that we're not going to allow. So they immediately moved to the boundary of the group and yes, it was still porous. People could join and leave and, and that's fine, but they weren't going to allow anything in. And I, I often uh, relate this to the, my constant, um, well, it, it's, it's, a, it's a dance uh, on my allotment with uh, the slugs, um, flea beetles, squirrels, rats, occasional rabbit, uh, pigeons, you name it, that want to share my food uh, with themselves. Um, and I have to, I have to put a boundary around the the the, the food. I, I I have, I I've had a um, a whole system this year for keeping my sweet corn to myself, my corn, um, because there's something that's learnt. It's either a squirrel or or a rat. It's learnt how to climb up the stalk, pull the cob off, and then chew it all, um, just as I'm about to pick it the week after, um, and and that's that's. That's the same thing of, I, I, have, I have to patrol the boundary um, in order for the thing to flourish. <clears throat> you know, Nigel, now that you say that, I'm recalling a conversation with a colleague. This is years ago, but we talked about um, the, the, 
the pastor, the priest, the spiritual leader as um, sort of like to use an old West analogy, the sheriff, because they stand at the boundary, you know, letting, making, you know, sure what comes in and out of the community, um, you know, and, and kind of um, moderating that boundary. And um, that's, that's really, uh, I mean, that and your gardening analogy, I mean, these are really helpful images of what it means to lead in this system. Hmm. So I don't know if you ever countryman's book uh, living on the border of the holy but it, it strikes me that um that, that there's a there's a place here um for um what you might call priesthood and he talks about the priesthood of all believers it's not just about the clergy doing this of course because because you don't need to be ordained to do this work uh, to be a leader in that congregation but you do need to learn how to live on the border of the holy um, and uh and it is the borderland and of course that's always a slightly awkward uh chaotic and um awesome place uh, to be it's much it feels much safer either to be all out or all in um the sheriff you know well you know he has his badge but does it really protect him oh well i'm not sure you know <laughs> he's putting himself in the way of of danger um and that's just one of those things that goes with the, the borderland yeah Um, you, you talk about, you go on to talk about then, um, what it means to be a, have a God centered self definition. And I'm wondering if, um, between you and Patrick, if you'd be willing to talk about more about what that is. Um, mm. well, I, I, I love Pat's well, uh, explanation. I may I say one thing quickly? Mm. I think. I would like to hear Nigel uh, talk about this a great deal more. One of the most uh, marvelous things about working with the Church of England is that its vicars um, have a great deal of knowledge about uh, rules of life. And this is something that uh, Nigel uh, understands in ways that frankly, I find rarely among uh, even Canadians in the Anglican Church, or for that matter, Anglicans in Sub-Saharan Africa, there is, uh, it's not that there isn't a, a notion of rule of life, but this uh, deep sense of uh, living on the borderlands in a rule of life is really quite uh, um, something that I think Nigel has helped me to come to understand uh, how one actually cultivates that as a leader. Um, and I think part of that is, you know, Nigel and, and Karen, his wife, were missionaries in Tanzania for seven years. And then Nigel went on to do his doctorate in missiology. So he's thought about that, but he's also a spiritual director. These are things he's not likely to talk about, but they deeply inform what he can teach us, uh, both the missionary, uh, the, the scholar, the missiologist, and the spiritual director, uh, uh, as he talks about how is it that you get a God-centered self-definition? So uh, with that intro, ta-da. Uh, <laughs> no pressure, yes. 
So I, I, I always like uh, to introduce this with, with the way Pat uh, starts this with uh, the, the reptilian brain. You know, we're all animals. And uh, when we're faced with a threat of another, another animal, there are three things that go through our brains before we've even thought about it. Um, and they are, uh, will it eat me? Can I eat it? And can I have sex with it? Um, no escape from, from those thoughts. Um, and where the other is always a, a threat to us because of our animal past. How do, we, how do we transcend that as human beings as opposed to animals? We are animals, but we're also more than that. We're made in the image of God and uh, given a whole load of gifts. Um, and, and we can do better than that. H how do we do better than that? Well, this is this, this idea of finding a self-definition and as Christians, finding that self-definition in God and God in Christ. And... And, and so that when we're faced with a threat, we, we don't do the animal thing of wanting to fight or um, fuse with that thing and reduce the distance between us to zero. You notice that when you fight something, the distance between you is gone down to zero. And also when you fuse with it uh, in whatever way uh, you do fusing, and of course sex is a version of, of that in, in some sense, um, the distance between you is zero. Or, as I said, my, my preferred option to get out of the place uh, altogether, to flee or to freeze like, uh, like chickens do when you frighten them occasionally. They, they either run or they just go um, very, very still, thinking that you won't notice them. And, uh, and that's the other, the other version of, uh, of getting the distance between you. How do we avoid those? Uh, it is to find a self-definition so that... Uh, I can be sure of who I am and uh, therefore I can allow you to be who you are and we can stay in touch in order to continue the conversation and the relationship. And, and that's, in, in our understanding, that's only found, that self-definition is only found by grounding ourselves in the God who is as opposed to um, our constant activity. So many of us as leaders get busy instead of um, discovering actually who God is. If God is the creator and sustainer of the universe in every uh, moment of its existence, and in, including all my existence, then maybe there isn't such a problem between you and me as we think there is. Um, because God is much bigger and greater than, than that. And we can stay with it because there's a bigger purpose here that we're part of other than the thing that we're arguing about at the moment. And, and until, until and unless we, we have a spiritual life, as it were, a sense of who we are in God, we will always just fall back into uh, our defaults. I sometimes talk about a, a spiritual leader I was with once um, who had stopped essentially praying um, and, and answered emails from in any spare moment from waking up in the morning until going to bed at night. 
and uh, was uncontrollably angry at uh, his parishioners and actually his spouse. Um, it was very difficult. We put in a, a simple rule, a rule of life. We said, okay, what we'll do is no answering emails between nine o'clock at night and nine o'clock in the morning and use that space for something uh, that energizes spiritually uh, you. Within six months, I can guarantee you, you know, he was a different person, a completely different person, alive in a different way. And, and that's the idea that the rule of life um, gives you, it's a boundary, it's another, it's another boundary, it's another container for what really matters in life, which is God. Because in the end, come on, folks, um, what are you, you going to be judged for? <laughs> you know, it's the fact that thing of, you know, no one will say at your funeral, you should have spent more time in the office. Um, <laughs> but it's just, it's just one of those things, isn't it? But that's what we think. We think that if we, if we are busier, if we work harder, Everything, you know, will be all right. Well, I'm sorry, but the fact is that we're going to spend eternity with God. So wouldn't getting used to being with God actually in this life uh, be a preparation for that rather than just getting busy and trying to save, you know, things that actually God is responsible for and not ourselves. And, and I, I suppose that that's what we're talking about here. Is God bigger than uh, the tasks that are set before us and therefore we're free from them in order to be ourselves and how God has made us um, as me and not uh, and not someone else I often quote the old I think it's a Jewish uh, rabbinical joke about you know you Jaime goes to heaven and meets God and uh, and the question that God asks him is not why were you not Jaime more like Moses or more like Elijah, uh, the question God asks is, is why were you not more like Jaime, Jaime? And, and, and that's, the, that's, the, that's that self-definition. That is, uh, I'm, I know who I am. I'm Nigel, and I'm not Pat or Casey or Rachel. Um, and, I, and of course, I'm tempted all the time to, to want to be like them because they somehow look like they're better than me. But actually, uh, I'm only asked to be me, and that's all I can be. And, and where do I find the strength to, to be that person? So We're in a time now, Nigel, that uh, the wisdom of what you're saying is, uh, is immediately usable and practicable. Uh, we're doing a lot of work at CI, uh, you know, coaching different people. Uh, parish leaders, bishops, etc. And um, uh, another person in, in this same work uh, was uh, speaking to all the bishops of her denomination, and she is responsible for spiritual formation for that denomination. And she was saying essentially the speech you just gave. And a number of the bishops said, all that is well and good, but uh, it's just one more thing to do. 
uh, and there was a general agreement uh, among th these bishops that yes, this is important. Of course, this is very important, but right now, the way our pastors are feeling, the way our vicars are feeling, it's just one more thing to do, and, uh, and people are exhausted. How, how would you respond? And believe me, that's not a, a, a unique response. Yeah. Uh, I'm getting it several places. Yeah. I think it's, it's hard. This is really hard because, because the, um, the liberation that comes from from finding a, a rule of life that works for you and 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 therefore finding your self-definition the, the liberation that comes uh, is hard won um but it is liberation it, it is freeing uh, from the need to um to perform to 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 save the church and I wonder that if you know that, that reaction is is because actually our underlying need is is to fix things again, um, and so we don't have the time for what really matters. I think the other the other thing that can really help here, and I do speak now as a spiritual director, is spiritual direction, because I think it's it's actually really hard to get over that sense. Uh, of it's just another thing to do unless there's some other person some other human being um who who can actually um support you accompany you contain you on that journey to liberation because because doing it yourself does feel like just another thing to do um unless there's someone who actually um can can be tough with you because i think there is a toughness in spiritual direction it's not just some version of therapy there's a guy in the uk he wrote a book and he says that spiritual direction is love on the cold cold stone slab um, and and there's something about that you know actually spiritually just need holding to the idea that god is more important than their ministry and um yeah, that's that's really key. Nigel, thank you so much for that. Um, we are running out of time today. I hope that we can have you back uh, on this podcast very soon because I get the sense that there is a lot more uh, that we can learn from you and that our listeners can learn and uh, in, in some dialogue. So... Um, I would like to thank everybody for listening today. Nigel and Patrick, thank you so much uh, for this book and for being here with us on this podcast. Again, uh, the book is Spiritual Leadership in the Missional Church, and it is available on uh, grovebooks.com, and uh, you can download it. It is a fantastic piece, and if it is... Uh, if you listen today, what Nigel was saying is instrumental for leadership in the church. Also, you can check out Church Innovations, How Change Comes to Your Church 
workshops, uh, which in the age of the pandemic are all uh, going to be available online. They're starting September 19th, uh, September 26th, October 10th, October 31st, and November 14th. You can learn more about those and how your church can benefit by going to churchinnovations.org. Uh, Nigel, could I ask you to pray for us as we close up today? Sure. We pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you that we only find our, our true identity in you. And so I pray for all those who have listened and shared throughout this podcast, that they too may find themselves in you and know that you are enough for them. Give us freedom to be your people and to live as your people, as you would have us be, to participate in all that you are doing in the world and to get ourselves out of the way that your church may be what you long for it to be. We ask this for Jesus' sake. Amen. Again, Nigel, Patrick, thank you on behalf of Rachel and the whole CI team. We'll see you next time.